The difference between a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. You know, I think head knowledge is when you know it. And especially with how we're using head knowledge is it's where you can answer the question. You get it right on the quiz, but maybe it's just not sunk in deep enough. You know, like it's not heart knowledge. Like how many people know that Jesus loves you? Okay. How many people know that Jesus loves you? That God Almighty knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He's been rooting for you for years. And he is believing for something good to happen in your life. And he's trying to bring you there. He is there. He loves you. I mean, has that sunk in? How many people understand that there's going to come a day where you will give an account? You know, like we will stand before the great throne and give an account for how we spent our days, for the words that we spoke. We will give an account. Have you heard that that's going to happen? Is that sunk in? <laughs> like, are you thinking about that day by day? There's all kinds of different things that maybe we know, you know, like God has a purpose for my life. God has a purpose for your life. Has that sunk in? Like you're not just here accidentally, just, you know, another person out of the billions of people just sort of here, not really sure why, but God has an actual purpose for your life. There's a person he wants you to be, and there's an impact he wants you to have on other people and this world. It's the truth. You're part of God's plan for fixing this mess that we have on this planet. Did you know God answers prayer? Has that sunk in? One of my favorite quotes from Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from from years and years ago, he said, if people knew what happened when they prayed, they would pray more. And that is absolutely true. Like, yeah, God answers prayer. We know it. You know, if if you're filling out the quiz, does God answer prayer? Yes or no? You do yes. So why wouldn't we pray first? You know, we pray last. We try to solve all the problems. And then when we're out, like, well, I guess I should pray now because I'm out of stuff. You know, why wouldn't we pray first? If it had really sunk in, we're going to pray first. You know, God answers prayer. How about... If I honor God with my finances, that God will take care of me financially. If I tithe, I can trust God to take care of me. We see that on the quiz. Well, yep. Amen. You know, real life. Now it's time to start doing that. It feels different. You know, there's something in here that's maybe different from what's up there. God will never leave me or forsake me. I'm never alone because God's always with me. I may weep in this life. You'll have trouble. But I'll never weep alone because God is always with me. There are so many more things that we would know the true or false answer. We would be able to pick out the answer on the multiple choice. We know what the right answer is, but has it sunk into our heart? You know, as a first generation Christian, I grew up not going to church, not being taught any of the things of God. I didn't have any belief in God. I just thought that was an uh, archaic old concept that when you realize what was going on, you quit believing in Zeus and Hermes and that sort of stuff. And you faced reality, which is a scientific atheistic reality. And when I got saved, I was 19 years old and I was shocked that God was real and that heaven and hell were real. I was absolutely shocked. 
And I had a sense of urgency about me because it's like, if God is real and heaven and hell are real and Jesus saves, then maybe we ought to do something, you know, like, oh my goodness, we got to do something like right now, you know, like, oh, and I'm looking at the church and the church is like, yeah, we're not going to do anything right now. We're going to have a picnic, you know, we're going to have a picnic and we're going to hope that people bring good food. And that's what we're going to do. You know, we know that, that the world is going to hell. And our response is going to be, we're going to sing songs and have a picnic. You know, and I just thought, what? What? That is a terrible response. You know, I, I had a very different sense of urgency than what I saw these people who grew up in church. And, you know, my wife grew up in church. And so she was one of those people who... She just, she knew from when she was a little kid what the truth was. And so she was used to it. You know, I was like traumatized by this. Like there's actually a real God. There's actually like the potential for everlasting life in the paradise of God. And people are missing it. And we're going to have a picnic. It just didn't make sense to me. You know, another thing people believed there's a creator of the universe that is good that we can get to know. And they just were not motivated to do so. Not interested. Oh, yeah, I can pray. I can get to know the Lord. I can read the scriptures. You know, I'll do that someday. You know, like, but right now there's reruns of Three's Company on, so I'm going to watch those. What? The creator of the universe wants a personal relationship with you and you're bored with that? You're uninterested? That's, that's, what? You know, like, it just didn't make any sense. And I'm thinking these people can say the right thing, but they don't feel the right thing. They're missing something. And that's what we're trying to deal with today is how do we move stuff from our head into our heart? I mean, would you agree that the creator of the universe is good and is knowable, wants a personal relationship? with? Maybe give him a call. Maybe start that relationship. Maybe dig into that because, oh my goodness, you know, name your favorite celebrity or football star or whatever. Think of somebody that you just think is really, really cool. If they wanted to come to your house and have dinner with you and you're like, yeah, you know, I don't know, maybe someday. The creator of the universe wants a relationship with you and you're undermotivated. It doesn't make sense. So how do we get those things in our head into our heart? One of the things I noticed was in just praying and thinking about this topic is that this is not just a Christian problem. How many people know you should eat your vegetables and exercise? That your life will go better. Your life will be better if you eat your vegetables and exercise. You know that, but you don't know that. You know what I mean? Like, I think I'll have frosting for supper. You know, that'll be okay. <laughs> I've been known to do that from time to time. Nothing much else you need to do. So that's pretty good. But would I say this is good for me? A jar of frosting for supper. No, I'm not going to say that's good for me. So there's something here that I understand, but there's something here that I'm missing with regards to diet and exercise. I'm getting better. I'm, I'm working on that. But if you say I'm working on that, it means it hasn't made it all the way here. Because if you understand the implications, like for example, should we manage our finances effectively, you know, spend less than we make, save money for retirement? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. But people don't always make that decision. Maybe they know what's the right thing, but it somehow hasn't sunk in, hasn't gotten to that deeper place. 
So what are some possible causes of things not sinking in? Being head knowledge, but not being heart knowledge. I got three possible causes. We got three possible solutions. And that's where we're going to go with the sermon today. Cause number one, why does stuff not sink in? We just don't put two and two together. It's something that makes sense here, but there's a couple little things that we're not putting together. There's the out of sight, out of mind thing, delayed gratification. We know that we're going to face the Lord someday and give an account for how we live this life. But you know, it's not right now. And God's real forgiving. So I'll get my life straightened out maybe next week. Maybe the week after that. I'm not really sure, but not right now. You know, delayed gratification. It's like eating your vegetables. You know, like if I want to be healthier, eat right, exercise, that's going to pay off in my 70s, right? That's going to pay off big, but not right now. And you know, sometimes life is just too crazy to put two and two together. How many times have you just been trying to get through the day? You know, I'm just trying to live through the next five hours. I'm not trying to set myself up for a healthy experience in my senior years. You know, like you're just trying to live through the day. And so sometimes we don't put two and two together because it's just so far off into the distance. It's so far removed. I don't even know if I'm going to get there. And we don't let those more important things that affect the future, affect the big picture, sink in because we're just dealing with the immediate crisis in front of us. So that's one of the causes, not putting two and two together for a variety of different reasons. Another reason is you don't really actually believe it, but you're going along with it to fit in. You know, you're supposed to say it, but you don't really actually believe it. You know, have you ever done that? You know, like you're in a work situation and this is the company line. And so you're like, yep, company line it is. You don't actually believe it, but you know that in order to fit in with everybody, you just kind of got to go with it. You're in your friend group and they say something that you just like, well, whatever. If I agree with it, everybody will like me. So you just agree with it. You just, this is what we're supposed to say. And you just go with it. I think that can happen in religious circles quite a bit. You know, especially if you grow up in church. Because if you grow up in church, a certain belief system is imposed on you. And the transition from, this is what I was told to believe, to this is what I believe, can be quite the transition. So not to open up a huge can of worms with that one, but the reality is you've got to find out what you actually believe, not just what everybody's telling you to believe, not just what you know will help you fit in. You've got to seek these things out and find out, do I actually really believe this or not? Some people think, yeah, you know, everybody says that, I'll agree with it, but I know better. I'm smarter than that. They're all just naive, but why burst their bubble? I'm just going to go with it. And... We need to be real careful not to just pretend we believe when we don't. Boy, when I was a new believer, I would try to ask Christians really, really hard questions. And they would just not respond well. They didn't like it. And I thought to myself, why don't they like that? I mean, this should be interesting to them. I mean, don't they want to help somebody? with their intellectual problems with the faith? Don't they want to help somebody get to that place that they're at? And then I thought to myself, oh, these are people that 
they're afraid that maybe their belief system is going to break apart if they look at it too closely. You know, they haven't gone to that place. They've just sort of swallowed the company line and moved on with their life. And now if somebody's going to actually ask the hard questions, they might find out that some of the things they believe aren't actually true. And so they're afraid. I got that vibe from people. I don't know if that's actually what it was, but boy, I thought you must be insecure with your belief system. And that's why you're not willing to dig deep because, hey, you don't know everything, but if God is real, then if we look into the science of it, we'll find out that God is real. We may not know how it all works, but we'll be able to find that because it's, if it's true, it's actually true and it will present itself. And I got to tell you, at this stage of the game, just regular four-dimensional atheism is an archaic scientific concept. It's no longer part of the topic. We've got multiple dimensional universes, parallel universes. We've got dark matter, all kinds of stuff that we can't see in this uh, four dimensions, you know, X, Y, Z axis and time. There's just regular old-fashioned Scientific atheism is just not part of the intellectual framework of today's science. It just no longer is. And so if people 30 years ago would have had the courage to say, you know what, if we look deep, if we look deep into science, we will find that there's more going on than the four dimensions that we can perceive. And guess what? Now it's very obvious. Again, you got dark matter. You got probably 11 dimensions. It's there. Why are we afraid to look? I think because people aren't sure if it's actually true and they're a little worried. Well, guess what? If it's actually true, let's go ahead and look. Because if we are proposing that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the answer, and yet we've got these hidden doubts and insecurities, we need to deal with those because we're not going to be able to actually bring the truth to a world when we aren't sure ourselves. So seek it out, fight for it. Try to grab a hold of it. And don't give people platitudes. You know, platitudes like everything happens for a reason. Sometimes the reason is because the devil hates you. Sometimes the reason is because this world is full of sin and darkness and it's not fair and it's a disaster. Sometimes that's the reason. It's not God's perfect plan in disguise. Those platitudes are a mess. Okay. Possible causes for things not sinking in because we don't put two and two together. Because we don't actually believe, we're just going along with it, fit in. And the third one is that there's a deeper belief that contradicts the head knowledge belief. There's a deeper belief that contradicts the head knowledge belief. For example, God will never leave me or forsake me. We can quote the scripture, we can check the box. Yes, true, false, true. God will never leave me or forsake me. How many people have gone through life and felt forsaken by God? And so you've got a heart belief that is like, yeah, except that he will. I know he will never leave me or forsake me, except that I think he probably will. I think he's forgotten about me. I think I'm alone. And this is a deeper, deeper belief that's ingrained in your heart. And it overcomes the head knowledge belief. So we can have all these things that are down deep that are going to push out the head knowledge belief. For example, in Christ, I am forgiven and I belong. True or false? It's true. Except how many people think that they're inherently defective, they've got something wrong with them that they can't fix and no one else can either, that they're unlovable and that no one cares. If you have that down deep and you try to put 
hey, I'm forgiven and I belong on, it's just going to bounce off your heart because you've got this other deeper belief that will push out the head knowledge belief. So we need to look at these contradicting beliefs and we need to battle with them. We have a word in Christianity for these contradicting beliefs that are in our heart that make the head knowledge things bounce off. That word is lies. We believe lies. And if you believe a lie and it pushes out the truth of God, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. So we need to look at these deep beliefs and make sure that we deal with them. For example, even after I got saved, I had this serious problem because I I thought, well, either I'm crazy or God is real, but I don't know how that's even possible. Like where, what, where is God? Where the, so he's listening to me think right now. How does that work? Like, I didn't understand how that was even possible. Like, where is he? I mean, like, really? Not just, well, God's in heaven. Like, no. <laughs> like, that's got to be a real place. Like, where is that? And I, I just didn't know how to put that together. Well, now, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, you put an 11-dimensional universe together. Well, he's got all kinds of places to be. It's not that complicated anymore. But I had to deal with that deep thing of like, I just don't think it's even possible that God could be real. I had a deeper belief beyond my personal experiences that was, I just can't believe this is, this is possible. And I had to work. I had to study. I had to fight. I had to look to overcome that problem that was pushing out in my head the possibility of God being real. And so I did that. I fought that fight. But go there and grab hold of it. If you've got a deeper belief that contradicts the truth of God, the, the head knowledge that you really know is true, but it just won't sink in, it's because maybe there's something deeper in there that you're believing that's pushing that out. You know, some people can't be forgiven no matter what. You try to you tell them about the love of Christ and what Jesus did on the cross and how their sins are forgiven, and they just can't go home and think I'm forgiven. They just go home and think I'm guilty. Well, why is that? They've got a, a greater belief in their own guilt and their own defectiveness than they have in the blood of Christ. So it pushes it out. Look at that deeper belief. All right. Let's look at possible solutions. We haven't even read the Bible yet. So we're going to look at three possible solutions for moving something from your head to your heart. The three R's of moving head knowledge into the heart. And these three R's are realization, revelation, and reminder, the three R's, realization, revelation, and reminder. Sometimes we just need to put two and two together. We need to realize what's going on. Put two and two together. Like the prodigal son from Luke chapter 15. If you know the story of the prodigal son, the, the parable of the two sons, there was the older son who did what he was supposed to do. And there was the younger son who said, give me my inheritance early. I want to waste it. And so the father said, okay, here's your inheritance. He went and wasted it. He just, he left. He partied hard until he ran out of money. And then there was an economic downturn and he was in trouble. And so he's feeding the pigs. And the wages were very poor because he didn't have anything to eat. uh, And he's wishing he could eat what the pigs were eating. And then he put two and two together. He came to a realization. That's in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 17. Says this. Then he came to his senses. He came to his senses. He put two and two together. He had a realization. 
He came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. He put two and two together. He had a realization. Some people are running from God because they think they'll be poorly received if they turn to God. Head knowledge, God forgives our sins. He loves us. He will will welcome us in. There might be a deeper belief of, no, I'm going to be rejected. God hates me after what I've done. We need to put two and two together and realize that the blood of Christ shed on the cross is sufficient for you. It's sufficient for me. We will be welcomed in. We need to have that realization and have it become something that gets into our heart and not just in our head so that we don't run from God. He is the answer. So here, the prodigal, though this is a parable, it's not a real person, but boy, sometimes we come to these realizations on our own, right? It just, it just, we all of a sudden come to our senses and it makes sense. Sometimes we need a little bit of help. Sometimes somebody else can help us have a realization. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, the prophet is talking to King David. King David's been pulling some stuff. You know, he's been doing bad things. He saw a pretty girl, had an affair with the pretty girl. Pretty girl gets pregnant. Then, you know, the husband is actually at war, so he's not home. So this is going to get bad. So he's like, okay, bring the husband back. So bring him back. He won't even go into his wife. He sleeps in the doorway because his, his uh, comrades in arms are out still in the battle. So he won't even go in. Then he's like, oh man, I'm in real trouble. So David sends him into the battle and he says, okay, put him out in the front and then everybody else fall back so that he'll die. So he has this man killed to cover up his own affair. And King David's just causing all kinds of problems, but he's not realizing that what he's doing is wrong. It's not sinking in. I mean, if you went to him and you're like, King David, do the 10 commandments still apply? He'd be like, yes, they do. You know, like, uh, should you commit adultery? He'd be like, no. Should you murder people? No. You know, he would know the answer, but it wasn't sinking in. And so Someone had to help him. That's where we pick it up. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. So Nathan the prophet is going to help David get a realization. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. And it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger. Now, David was a shepherd. He understood what it meant to care about animals. He understood that it was wrong for the rich man who had many, many sheep and cattle to take the one that this poor man owned to slaughter it and feed it to somebody else. He just, he was upset. He burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. 
He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is you. You can't see it, but this is you. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's houses to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Last verse. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. So David needed to realize what he was doing was wrong. The cover up was not going to be successful and he needed to feel it. So Nathan explained it to him in a way that he could catch. And David had a realization. David repented before God. God said, you're forgiven. The child will die. And the sword will not leave your house. So he was forgiven, but there were still consequences. It was still a harsh, harsh situation. So David came to a realization with the help of someone else. I tell you what, this spoke to me because you ever met somebody who just doesn't get it. And you're like, wow, they just don't get it. And you try to explain it to them and they still don't get it. I usually stop right there. Like, well, if you don't want to know anything, well, then I'm just going to leave you be. Part of helping people is helping them get the realization like Nathan did with David. Like it's okay to keep fighting to explain something to someone in a way that they can understand because they need a realization. They need something to go. Maybe it's not even in their head. They need something to get in their head and in their heart. You've got to help them put two and two together. It can be part of the deal. So realization is the first option of how to move something from your head into your heart to realize and put two and two together. How do you come to realizations? Well, just try to try to put two and two together. You know, if we're going to face the Lord someday, then realize today's probably a good day to start living in a way that I can stand before the Lord with good conscience, put two and two together. Just go ahead and do that. Listen to somebody who's trying to explain something to you. Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody? You just felt nervous about talking to them. You weren't sure if they were going to receive it and you did it anyway, you know, because you knew it was so important. That's what that person is doing for you. They're nervous. They don't want to have confrontation with you. They're going out of their way. Open up your heart and say, oh, is there something I'm not realizing here? Do I need to put two and two together? Do I need to understand something? Be open to what other people have to say and try to put two and two together. Seek after those realizations. Now let's talk about revelation. Revelation. So realization is kind of when you show yourself something or when somebody else shows you something. Revelation is when God shows you something. That's when God shows up and does something. You know, God helps you put two and two together. So let's go to Matthew chapter 16. We'll look at Peter's revelation of Jesus as the Christ. So Matthew 16, 13 through 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? So he's referring to himself. You know, who do they say I am? Verse 14. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. What was their belief system? This is a strange list. Who do they say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist and Jesus were six months different in age. So he's a resurrected John the Baptist. That's an odd belief system. Some say Elijah. 
Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Some people think you're one of the ancestors from way back when that's been resurrected or reincarnated. Or They had a weird belief system back then. Verse 15, what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? This, of course, is the great question. Who is Jesus? Is he a lunatic? <laughs> is he the Lord? Is he a liar? Who is Jesus? What about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. Jesus says to Peter, God put something in your heart. God showed you this. You didn't come up with this on your own. Somebody didn't tell you this, but God revealed this to you. Put it in your heart. So here we have revelation, not revealed by man, but revealed by my father in heaven. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. So he gets a revelation of the truth of God that Jesus is the Christ. He speaks it out, and then Jesus says, that's right. And here's what you are going to receive because you have got this revelation. Powerful, powerful things. A revelation from God. Another example of a revelation, Paul's message to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 says this. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. So Paul is saying, I didn't go to seminary to learn the gospel. I didn't go to seminary to be the apostle to the Gentiles. God called me to that. He showed me that the Gentiles fit into the plan of salvation, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, and that we are all forgiven if we receive Christ. And that counts for the people on the inside, and it counts for the people on the outside too. And so he's saying, this is something God showed me, and now I'm proclaiming it to you, but I wasn't taught it by any man. It isn't something that I just decided was going to be a good thing to try to sell people. Uh, I'm just telling you what God told me. Revelation from God. How do you get revelation from God? Isn't that a great question? Well, spend time with God then. That's really the bottom line with that. You want to get information from a friend? Spend time with your friend. You want to get revelation from God? Spend time with God. Now, can this go wrong? Have you ever met someone who got revelation from God and they were just not okay? Because <laughs> like you can get revelation from God or you can just be under the wrong impression. You know, maybe you're getting revelation from some dark spiritual force or maybe you're just making stuff up in your brain and you just don't know what's going on. How do we really actually get revelation from God? Well, Here's the simple, simple test. It must line up with scripture. And most of the time when you get revelation from God, it will be something you already know, but it'll just sink in. I was listening to a preacher one time and he said he got a revelation from God and everybody was all excited, you know, revelation from God. And he said, here's the revelation from God. I got God is smarter than me. So that's the revelation. God is smarter than me. And I was like, yep, that's right. Well, he said, now, now I would have agreed to that before, but now I see if 
God says something, if there's something in the scriptures, if God is saying something and I don't understand why, I don't think it makes sense. God is smarter than me. It does make sense. I just can't see it. I should walk in that and not lean on my own understanding because God is smarter than me and he's a lot smarter than me. And so that became a revelation. God is smarter than me. So those are the sorts of things that we get revelation from God. It moves us from our head to our heart. I had a revelation from God one time sitting at a stoplight. And it was simply this, that unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. If I continue in my unforgiveness, I am opposing what Jesus did on the cross. Because what I'm doing is taking somebody's sin and sticking it to them. And what Jesus died on the cross for was to take that sin away. Unforgiveness is opposition to the cross. These are the sorts of things that we get revelation on. So we've got realization and revelation. The third thing is reminder. Reminder. This is to keep us from letting what we believe in our heart fade away into the background. The scriptures are full of reminders, full of things that have symbolic meaning that help us Keep hold of what we believe. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 25, the apostle Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about the Lord's Supper. And he says this, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. How many people have had profound realizations and had revelation from God? And then two years later, it seems to have just gone away. We need to remember. We need to keep hold of these things. You know, coming to church is a good way to remember. Even, you know, showing up for church on Christmas and Easter and those special holiday seasons, you know, there's certain, those are there to help us remember. So we've got realization, revelation, and reminder are ways that we can take things from our head into our heart. So which of these three is the most powerful? Realization, revelation, or reminder? I think they're all important, but I'm going with revelation because that's where God shows up. It's a powerful thing when God shows up. When God changes us is a powerful, powerful thing. And revelation and the Holy Spirit are interwoven. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting verse 6. It says, We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. So many people just quote the previous verse and they say, well, yeah, look at all these great things that no eye has seen, no mind has conceived. But it says the very next verse is, but God has revealed it to us. We get to see. 
We get to know what God has for us. He's revealed it to us, revelation, by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So he's saying, if we have access to the spirit of God, we have access to the heart of God, the thoughts of God. We can have revelation from God to search all these great mysteries. Verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual man makes judgment about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So it's an amazing section of scripture talking about the great wisdom of God and the spirit of God and how we have access to the wisdom of God through the spirit of God. And here Paul describes it as having the mind of Christ, that we aren't just trying to figure it out on our own, but the Holy Spirit guides us and we have the, the mind of Christ the spirit of God, the innermost mysteries of God we have access to. Let's go back to verse 12. It'll be our closing verse. First Corinthians two, verse 12. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? In this verse that we may understand what God has freely given us. There are things that we know God has freely given us. Forgiveness, eternal life, purpose in this life, a calling, ways to make a difference by the Holy Spirit. It can sink into our hearts and we can understand. So let's go for that. Let's go for receiving the spirit who is from God. I know the difference between trying to figure it out on my own and humbling myself before God and asking for some help. God wants to help. Let's go before him. The first realization that we all need to have is that we need God, that we need the Lord. We need what Jesus has done. Heavenly Father, you are so good. You are so good. Thank you, Lord, that we have nothing to fear when we seek the deeper things of you, that we're not going to be disappointed, that we're not going to find out it's all a facade, it's all a sham. We're going to find out that you are real and that you are good and that you have a plan for us now and forevermore. Hallelujah. Lord, let us not believe the lies that push out your truth. But Lord, let your truth sink into our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd give us realizations and we can put two and two together, that you would reveal powerful things to us and that we would not forget, but that we would have reminders in place so that we can hold on to the truths that you have and keep them in our heart. Help us to seek and help us to find. Lord, I pray for each one of us right now that by your spirit, you would just reveal a lie that we're believing that needs to be cast out, a, a piece of head knowledge that needs to be brought to the heart. Lord, something that in our lives personally that we can, that we can move from our head to our heart or that we can believe for the first time. Show us what that is, each one individually. And Lord, we open our hearts to that truth. We open our hearts to it. We open our hearts to you. We ask you for revelation. 
that by your spirit, by receiving the mind of Christ, the spirit that's not from the world, but that is from you, Lord, that you would give us these realizations, these revelations, and you would keep the reminders going in our hearts so that we don't forget. Lord, you are so good and we just love you and we honor you. And Father, help us to know how much you love us. Reveal that to us, that you actually care, that you actually know that you're weeping for us, over us, that you're cheering for us. You're rooting us on. You've got hopes that you believe in us. You believe in us. Lord, let us be filled up with that revelation so that we can believe in other people who sometimes let us down. We can love people who are difficult to love. We can know and be there for people who are difficult to deal with. Lord, give us that strength. Help us to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.